The holiday of Thanksgiving makes no sense unless there's a personal being that we're thankful to. It's an interesting thing in our culture. If you don't have a personal being to be thankful towards, what are we thanking? We're thanking the universe. We're just treating the universe like it's a personal being. But if we don't believe in some sort of personal being behind it, then it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. We don't thank chairs for holding us up when we sit on them. Maybe we should. Um, But we don't. We thank the person who came up with the invention of a chair. And uh, we're thankful that they do hold us up. And so in your gratitude this, this weekend, um, the contemplation that at least Christians get to have, that many in our, just our, our normal secular culture don't get to have, is that there's a, there's a person behind um, um, all, the, all the blessings that we have, and then we are thankful to that person. And, and in the Christian tradition, we call that God. We thank God for all that we have. And that's what's so beautiful about worshiping together on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, the students are going to be really thankful because I'm going to invite you to open up your phones, grab your phones, and uh, open them up for a second here. We're going to do something together uh, as we get things kicked off, talking about a new topic here at Southside. So whip out your phones. Those who are already playing Clash of Clans Royale, get rid of the app. I know I see you guys. I see you. I see you. And uh, you're going to do something for me. I'm going uh, to put something on the screens here. And this is just going to be an interesting exercise for all of us. For those who don't know me, my name is uh, Andrew, and I get to be one of the pastors here at Southside. And uh, we are starting a a new conversation here with this community uh, on the topic of fasting. And uh, immediately, I just said that word, and a lot of you, your stomach went, no, it's horrible, isn't it? It's going to be a really, really great teaching series. And... uh, and conversation that we're going to be starting over the next quite a few weeks. Before we do that, uh, what we're going to do is we're actually going to get a bit of a survey on where we're at with this topic. It's going to be quite interesting to see, and this is, this is going to be live. I don't think your name will be associated with it, but I'm going to give you a minute here. Take out your phone and either go to menti.com and then put in that code, 71766797, or use the QR code if you're up with it. So I think there's only 50 spots, so we can only get 50 people in on this because this is the free version, and we don't have budget for the 1999. <laughs> Uh, unlimited version, so <laughs> but we'll get there. We got 20 through 24 people in. Keep going, keep, keep getting in there because we're going to get into the first couple here. And uh, you want to make sure your results are. are uh... Who's spamming the like button right now? I figured. Awesome. We're almost full here 42. Can we make it to 50? Are there 50 people with a phone in this room who know how to use a QR code? That's its own social experiment, isn't it? 47? Three more spots. Can we make it? 49? Ah, all right. First question. I think you've got to click the button, then click submit for us to see the results. And don't lie. Nobody will know if you're, uh, if you're telling the truth, except for you and God. So, yeah. Yeah, fasting like the uh, Christian tradition or the, uh, the religious tradition of fasting. All the intermittent fasting people are like, yeah, me, daily, I'm awesome. It's like, no, 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 okay. Set that aside. We'll talk about that in a second, but that's interesting, huh? Okay. In a room full of Christians, like 90% of us have either only a few times in our life or never fasted. It's interesting. And I'm there with you, so. If I was voting, it would be only a few times in my life. Next one. What stops you from fasting?
Ooh. Okay. I'm curious about the other. Anyone courageous enough to tell us what their other is? You're, what's that? I'm hungry. That's your answer. I don't fast because I'm hungry. It's <laughs> a good answer. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Okay. You can select multiples, I think, on this one. No? Oh, you should have been able to. You sure? You can, can't you? Teenagers know that you can. Okay. That's interesting. So like 95% of us have only fasted a couple of times or maybe never in our life, but only three of us say we don't understand why religious people do it. So we understand why religious people do it. We just don't. And that's interesting. Okay. It's too hard. All right. It's moving on. How does learning about fasting make you feel? I think you can select multiples here. Try selecting multiples, then clicking submit. Got a couple honest people in the room. So we're intellectually interested in learning about fasting. That's good. Hopefully that uh, interest will be piqued in some kind of way. Some are excited and eager to learn about fasting. Many are just annoyed and frustrated or afraid. Yeah, I get it. I'm with you. I have to talk about it. That's even worse than sitting and listening to someone talk about it. So, I like the feelings language there. All right, how important do you think fasting is to your spiritual formation or growth as a disciple of Jesus? And maybe do your best to answer this honestly. Like, how important do you actually think it is based on how you live? Not necessarily what you think the right Christian answer is. Got a little quiet in here. You're just quiet because of my poor grammar. Minimally importance? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Doing our best down here. All right. So somewhat important. A few of you very important. Some minimally. And one person not important at all. I like it. <laughs> Anyone courageous enough to say who that was? All right. That's good. That's fair. That's fair. I would have thought that. I probably would have put not important at all like four years ago. So I'm with you. And I was a pastor then. That's crazy. <laughs> um, all right. What do you hope the result is from fasting? I do believe you can select multiples on this one. If you can't, then uh, if you don't think you can, tally up the number of votes, and uh, you'll realize you can. Yeah, yeah. That's way more than 50 votes in there. That's okay. Yeah, you do. You have to do it before you click submit. Yeah. I think they say actually at the top. So if you read the instructions, 
Well, that's not on me. All right, interesting. Okay. Are you interested in fasting more? Not are you interested in learning about it. Are you interested in doing it? All right. <laughs> Can we make not really go above sort of? That would be interesting. We'd have a complete divide in the room and be fun. All the not reallys aren't going to show up for the next eight weeks, are they? <laughs> yeah, I get it. All right. So mostly yes, or sort of. You're cautious. You're like, all right, I got to hear you out here. Can't be. I can't say I'm interested yet, but I, but I'll give you some space here. And then uh, some of us are honestly not really. We'll talk about fasting today. Make you feel guilty about stuffing your face with Thanksgiving feast. <laughs> nah, <laughs> that was quick. That was real quick. <laughs> nah good it shouldn't it shouldn't because it's sabbath today well at least some people take sabbath and we're not supposed to fast on sabbath so that's the right answer that's the right answer okay then a few of you guys are like really duty bound and like your general temperament is feeling guilty about everything so you're like oh no i'm gonna feel guilty you don't have to you shouldn't all right what would you rather learn about on sundays let me take a minute here. Just, these are going to be public, guys. These are going to be public. So just careful, boys, in the back. All right. Hey, that's honest. That's honest. Fantasy football. Okay. <laughs> How does God speak, bruh? <laughs> oh, goodness. We should have made this like an 18 plus activity. That's good. What's that? Yeah, they probably are. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're 19 for sure. What are some other, do I, can I scroll here? Oh, I can. Oh, good. Spiritual gifts, Paul's letters, parenting, looking to song of songs. Okay. Gender and sexuality. I don't know. Oh, somebody's really nice. Thank you, whoever said that. Whoa. Okay. Feasting. <laughs> we did. Sabbath was about feasting. We already did that. And none of you are actually Sabbathing. You don't realize you're missing out on the feast. It's good. Parenting identity. Oh, man. Look at this. Donuts. Your mom. Okay. Should we move on? 
Thanks for doing that. You guys can flip it back to the other set of slides here. All right. Um, did that exercise because um, from my experience, and I think from most of our experience, if you grew up in the Christian tradition, which we don't assume everyone here did, but we assume most people who come to church on a Sunday did in some way, um, you've probably, especially if you've grown up in a Christian tradition here in the West, in Canada, and particularly in Milton, Ontario, um, you've probably heard about fasting a million times, but very seldom has anyone really talked about it, let alone led the church in doing it, and uh, it's one of those spiritual practices or disciplines that was like, it was just assumed that that's what Christians do, and we are one of the only generations of Jesus following people who actually don't, almost at all, and we saw the survey here. The survey was actually a good representative of North American evangelicalism at large. There's a few groups within North American evangelicalism that still do fasting quite regularly and consistently, but most don't. Globally, that's not the case. If you grew up in a, in a global church anywhere outside of either North America or some of the Western-leaning um, countries in Europe, uh, it's a very regular and consistent practice uh, of faith, but uh, we're unique in that way in that we've kind of set this one aside, and uh, I have myself as well, as you probably can tell. So so we're going to focus on it. This morning I want to start with talking a little bit about um, formation. Before we get there, I just want to ask this question, because this is the question that's kind of foundational for a lot of the stuff that we're doing, and uh, foundational for... Um, for the vision that we have as a, as a family of faith here in Milton. And the question is, what would Milton look like if 200 of us started looking, sounding, and living a lot more like Jesus? What would Milton look like if we did that? More of a rhetorical question, but we'd all have beards is what you're saying? Okay. <laughs> would we? <laughs> um, yeah, what, what would it look like if we, if we did? And... Um, and I ask this question because I think most people don't have too much problems with Jesus, even the, even the unbelieving community or the, or the, or the not-yet-following-Jesus community in Milton, which is most of it. Um, most, of, most people in the world don't really have too much of a problem with Jesus, right? You can't, it's hard to have a problem with Jesus. Like, a few claims he made that are intense and extreme and maybe, um, yeah, are exclusive. But for the most part, the way he lived and his lifestyle and the things he taught, most of us are cool, and most, most of the community outside of these walls is really cool with Jesus. And the question that we want to know is, uh, what would Milton look like if 200 of us started actually taking Jesus more seriously and started to look a lot more like Jesus? And I'm going to get to the reason why that's the direction we're heading in. Are there any educators in the room, any um, child educators, um, high school educators, teachers in the room? We've kind of said this a few times. Um, there's a, there's, a, there's a, 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 um, a framework for education called Bloom's Taxonomy. And it's a kind of a broadly accepted framework for education and education circles. And, and what Bloom's taxonomy is, it's kind of like a hierarchy of learning. And it looks kind of like this. And uh, the, the idea with it is that um, if we want kids that we're teaching, or anybody that we're teaching anything, but particularly kids in elementary school and in high school, um, our goal is not just to get them to remember information. That's like the baseline of education, being able to recall facts, recall dates, but what we actually want for our kids as we're educating them and teaching them is uh, to be formed in such a way that they're able to live out of their education, 
right? It's kind of not really helpful if somebody knows a bunch of rogue facts, but there's no application to their life. It's not really helpful if a doctor knows all the definitions, but actually doesn't know how to interact with patients and heal them and diagnose them properly. It doesn't help if we have a musician who knows all the notes on the page, but can't actually play them. And the goal in all education is to get to a point of being able to create, being able to live out of something. And and so that's kind of what that's kind of what we call formation. The Christian church, we kind of similar kind of framework. You can move on to the next one. When you think about Christian faith and discipleship, uh, what a lot of us have done, especially in the West, and there's all sorts of reasons why that philosophically we won't go into that, but but we focus a lot on the kind of the three the, the bottom three tiers of the pyramid. And, uh, and the reason why, I think, most of us haven't really changed the way we live in 10 years of following Jesus is because our discipleship structures are built in such a way that emphasizes the bottom three kind of rings of the pyramid, where we learn to memorize scripture, we learn to memorize truth, we learn to memorize, you know, statements of doctrine or whatever, and we're trained to think theologically. It's a cognitive exercise, right? Discipleship is like making sense of things. And then maybe some application here and there. Like, hey, try this this week. Try this this week. And what we've lost in our discipleship systems and structures is actually the, the top three, which are what actually leads to people being actually changed, which is some sort of review process, some sort of development of a principle that the individual lives from. And then the last thing is the actual formation. They're, they're, it's something that's a part of their unique and individual life that it's not just a principle, but it's a, it's a lifestyle, becomes a lifestyle. They're, they're changed, right? It's the difference between learning what the Bible says about anger and actually being less angry on a more regular basis, right? It's learning what the Bible teaches about money, but then actually being more generous on a regular and consistent basis. It's, it's what the Bible teaches about sex and sexuality, but then actually denying the desires of your flesh in order to live out the ethic of Jesus in our sexuality. So, so that's kind of the idea. And, and what we're aiming at as a church is we're aiming at um, slowing things down so that we can... Focus on the bottom three, which feed the top three, but actually focus on the top three so that in 10 years from now, we're actually changed into something. Instead of having covered every topic, but at a shallow level, we're actually being changed and formed into the likeness of Christ in the deepest ways. And that is what the fundamental discipleship um, structure at, at Southside will be and, um, and pathway will be. We use this language called, uh, we say, be what Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. We we're stealing this from somebody because it's actually really, really great. And the idea is that we believe that we're formed by spending time with Jesus in the presence of God. And then as we're in the presence of God, listening to the voice of God, we're being formed into Christ's likeness. We're becoming like Jesus. And, and it's only then that we actually start to live out of of, of that formation, and we start to do the kind of things that Jesus did, not because somebody told me on Sunday to do it this week, and then I forgot about it next week, because we're actually being changed. We're actually being formed into Christ's likeness. Paul, the Apostle Paul, many of you guys know his story. You might know the story of the Damascus experience that he had. To catch everybody up to speed, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament outside of the Gospels, um, he, was this, he was this crazy, like, zealous... Jewish Pharisee who, um, earlier in his life, like actually tormented and even killed and tortured Christians because he thought that that was going to be the way to 
produce the kingdom of God that, that the Jews were anticipating. He thought that, um, that the Christian sect or the Jewish movement that was called Christianity early on at the time was actually keeping God back from blessing the nation of Israel and welcoming them, ushering them into the promised land. And he had this um, incredible spiritual experience on the road to Damascus and everything changed for Paul. But what's interesting about Paul's life is sometimes we think um, Paul changed overnight. But that's not what the scripture teaches and it's not what Paul says about himself. We see this in Galatians chapter 2. You can pull it up there. In Galatians chapter 2, this is Paul. Paul in Galatians is making an argument for the unity of the body of Christ. He's saying, look, Jews and Gentiles, we are all one in Christ. And, and specifically on the topic of like eating laws and circumcision, those are kind of the big issues of the day. So he's kind of building an argument here, but it's interesting to see the things that he says. Chapter 2, he says, then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. And I took Titus along also, and I went in response to a revelation, a meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, and I presented them the gospel that I preach amongst the Gentiles. And so he's preaching amongst the Gentiles, but this was a moment where he went up, and he said this is kind of like a, a, an establishment of a specific ministry for Paul. He goes, I wanted to be sure I was not running, and I had not been running my own race in vain. And so Paul has this experience of, he says, 14 years of trying things out, of testing things, of practicing things, of teaching things, of learning things. But he goes to the rest of the disciples, because, or the rest of the apostles at the time, and many more as well, because he wanted to make sure he wasn't kind of going rogue. And the reason I'm showing you this is you see after this in Galatians 2, 19 to 21, Paul says, for uh, through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. He goes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Again, this is part of a broader argument. But what I want to point out here in the context of our conversation this morning is that Paul's aim in his life and his 14 plus years of formation, is that Christ, he no longer lives. He's crucified with Christ. His original self is put to death for the sake of Christ being formed in him. It's Christ living in him. He's becoming like Christ. He's actually embodying Christ. That's his goal. It's his aim. And we see this later in the letter in um, chapter uh, 4. This is Paul's um, invitation to the church that he's writing to in Galatians. He says, My dear children, for who I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And the picture here is like, I mean, I've never birthed a child, but I've been there during the birth of a child. And it's like the aches and the pains that are leading towards a new life being born. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm, I've experienced that, and I'm experiencing that. And I'm inviting you to experience that. And I'm with you and I'm along the ride with you to, for you to experience that. The, it's painful. It's work. It's suffering. But in the midst of that pain and that work and that suffering and the self-death comes new life, comes the formation of Christ in the individual. Paul is very clear throughout all of his letters about what his intention is. And that's that we die to ourself. Jesus taught this so that Christ can be made alive in us. So that's Paul's pathway of formation, 14 years and counting 
of formation. And for us, that needs to be our primary concern, that we're crucified with Christ. It's no longer I living, but Christ formed in me. And at Southside, our primary concern is the same for one another, that Christ is formed in you and me, in our kids, and in our grandkids. And if Paul was committed to 14 plus years of that and still figuring it out as he goes, then my invitation to us is that we commit to 14 years of that and more as we go on. Now, how does that happen? Well, learning the truth of the gospel, understanding the truth of the gospel, spending time in the presence of the living God, experiencing his mercy and grace, spending time in God's presence like um, Jesus talks about in John 15, abiding in Christ, and practicing the ways of Jesus, following his example of how he abided in the Father, we also abide in Christ, listening to God and his gentle voice in our life, responding to his tender love and care and mercy that he speaks over us when we are in his presence, and listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in that same space, responding in faith and obedience. In the last little while here at Southside, we focused on Sabbath and we focused on prayer. And I don't know about you, but trying to Sabbath, even though it's actually feasting and it's lovely and it's amazing and it's supposed to be the day where we actually live as though the kingdom of God is here, it felt like birth pains. Most of us felt like the, it, was, it was fighting against something in us, and it does fight against something in us. And the question is, what is it fighting against, right? What is the pain? What is the suffering? Sometimes we see the suffering in the New Testament, we think imposed on us by outside forces, and that was true, persecution was happening. But, but the truth is in the Christian faith that most of the suffering that you and I experience is actually a fight against our own body, our own mind, our own soul. It's like this wrestling with the idolatry around us and the idolatry in us. It's wrestling with the, dis, the, or the desires that we have of the flesh is the language of the New Testament and, and the things that we want to do that we probably shouldn't do and the ways that we want to live that we shouldn't or struggling to live the ways we think we should. The reordering desires, the reordering of loves we talked about, the Augustine ordering of loves, we talked about that a lot and we'll continue to. That's what we wrestle with. That's the battle of formation. And what we're doing today, and for the next few weeks, is we're adding a new tool to our tool belt. You may think, I haven't mastered Sabbath yet. That's okay. You got 10 years, 14 years. Let's give you 14 years, right? We're going to work on that. But there's more tool belts. There's no more tools to add to the tool belt. And these are all from the life of Jesus and the life of the historical church. Now, my body, I feel, even talking about it, angst. I feel just thinking about fasting. My, my physical body is like saying, no, no. Eat. And I don't know about you, but some of you don't have the same challenges I have. Some of you have your own challenges. Some of you, you, uh, you struggle with different kinds of addiction or addictions to different kinds of things. Some of, you, some of you are disciplined in one area, but you're really undisciplined in other areas. For me, the major point of um, challenge for me in regards to my own self-discipline has been in, 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 in the area of food control. It's like my body just wants to do it, and I turn off my mind, and I do things habitually. I just eat. I eat. I respond. I think I'm hungry, right? Like the teenage boys, I don't fast. I'm hungry. So I eat. I fulfill that craving. And that's something for me in my life, and may not be for your life, but for my life has been a real challenge. And so as we have this conversation together as a church in a body together here at Southside and in our communities, I want you to know that in this, 
I'm going to do my best to teach, and I'm going to do my best to practice, but especially in regards to this practice, I'm probably following you as you follow Christ, because this is a fight for me, and it will be a fight for me. But the invitation is that we do that together, and we work through that together, and we wrestle together, and we suffer together for the sake of Christ being formed. So this morning, we're just going to open up with a couple of answers to a couple of questions. What is fasting? What is fasting? Now, today, fasting is really popular, right? A certain kind of fasting. We use the language of fasting all the time. But in today's culture, we use the, the language of fasting to refer to abstinence. So you say, I don't, I'm doing a tech fast, right? Or, or I'm doing a I'm shopping fast. Any, like, shopaholics here? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to expose yourself. <laughs> but we can see you because we're looking at your clothes and your drip is, Yeah. So it's like, okay, yeah. So we think of fasting, we think of absence, we think of not doing something. We, think, we just use the language of intermittent fasting. I'll get there in a sec, but, but we think of it as saying no to something for, for a period of time. And, and so what fasting is, well, it isn't, you can put the first thing up, fasting isn't abstinence. At least in the Christian tradition, in most religious traditions, fasting isn't abstinence. It's an element to it, but it's not a tech fast. It's not a fast from alcohol. It's not like our Lent, you know, our, our really lazy Lent, especially in North American evangelicalism, right? Oh, you know, I'm giving up beer for the month or whatever, you know, I'm fasting. It's like, okay, it's, that's actually not the tradition of fasting. It's, it's a fast in a sense, but it's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fasting over the next little while. Fasting also isn't a diet. It's not a fad diet. Anybody done the Daniel fast before? Like it says, it says, it's called Daniel fast. <laughs> Duh. Um, the Daniel fast is a bad diet. Well, no, I shouldn't say bad. I don't know, obviously. But it's a, it's a diet, right? It's a diet, and it's, it's, you know, it's a fad thing, and it's rooted in some understanding of you know, Daniel's life in Scripture. We won't go there. But, but it's not dieting. Fasting isn't saying no to sugar for a month. Or fasting also isn't intermittent fasting. Anybody intermittent fasters in the room? Raise your hands loud and proud. You, you are the new vegans, right? You're the new vegans where you're like, I'm telling everyone, everyone's going to know, I'm an intermittent faster, right? It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, loud and proud, right? It's like, yeah, it's good for me. There's health benefits. Maybe, there's, maybe I'm spiritual for doing it, you know? Also vegans. <laughs> Sorry, I hope that wasn't offensive. Oh, okay. <laughs> fasting isn't a diet. It's not abstinence, and it's not a fad diet. When we talk about fasting, we're talking about something in particular. Uh, what is fasting? Fasting in the religious tradition, and especially in the Christian tradition, because that's what our focus is as we follow Jesus, is not eating food for a predetermined period of time in order to commune with God and grow in holiness. So just not eating food is not... Fasting, it's a piece of fasting. Um, but when we talk about fasting, we're talking about the intentional decision of going without food, not just without sugar, without food, for a period of time that's predetermined. The amount of time isn't as important as, the, um, as a matter of it being a, a set period of time and a discipline. And the purpose is to commune with God and to grow in holiness. So why are we talking about fasting? Simply put, we're talking about fasting for many reasons, but one of the main reasons is to offer ourselves uh, to Jesus. In all things that we do in prayer and in Sabbath, we offer ourselves to Jesus in spirit and soul and in body. One of the interesting things about being in the West 
is that um, we really like saying we offer ourselves to Jesus in mind, but when it comes to the body, that's a little bit different. That sounds a little Eastern to us. It sounds a little bit uh, religious, or it sounds a little bit um, New Agey. But the reality is, in Scripture, and all throughout Christian tradition, the invitation to offer ourselves included our body. And so why are we fasting? We offer ourselves to Jesus in spirit, in soul, in mind, and in body. Check this out in Romans 12, 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's the whole self. 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Fasting is an embodied offering ourselves to God, not an offering ourselves to God in the mind or in some sort of spiritual realm or way. We believe that reality um, is a combination of that which we would consider the supernatural and the natural. Uh, we're not Gnostics. We don't separate the two. We're not trying to get away from the physical in order to achieve some sort of enlightenment or fulfilling in the spiritual. God's invitation to us is the here and now as well as the future, and it includes the natural world that he created to be good and that he intends to restore, which includes our bodies. William Barclay, he says this, these are some reasons why we fast. Traditionally, we've, people have fasted to draw the attention of God. Some of you may be like, Does God, is God easily manipulated by that? And maybe you're thinking about it the wrong way. Um, traditionally, people have believed that um, if you are serious about your prayer and are serious about your ask and you're serious about your seeking of God, that you would not just think it in your mind and maybe say it in a prayer group, but that you would actually embody it. People believe that then, you, then you're proving that you're serious about it. Sometimes we fast for good health and physical reset. Your, your, your bodily health is a spiritual matter. Something that actually helps us in walking with Jesus and represent Jesus as he's formed in us. We break the chain of unhealthy habits through fasting. It's a gift to us to, to set, reset our bodies. It helps us be free from the slavery of habit. I don't know about you, but most of the things that I do that are jacked up is because it's a habit. It's a thing I'm not thinking, I'm not consciously thinking I should do that right now, whether it's good or not. It's just like, wait a second, I'm in the McDonald's drive-thru. How did I get here? <laughs> Is rolling, you're feeling hungry. Where's Luis? That's right. Yeah, that's a callback, right? Um, you get here, yeah, you're with me. One person's with me, right? But don't you find yourself like, Pastor Ian and I were talking to this week about walking by a bowl of leftover chips. I'm not thinking, do I need chips right now? Yes, I need chips right now. You're just walking, it's habit, right? And fasting frees us from the slavery that is habit. And most of the slavery that you live with, personally, internally, we're talking about the fighting with your flesh, is a result of habits, right? 
things you're doing that are unconscious. Charles Duhigg says that 40% of the actions we take every single day are just straight up habitual. You don't think about them. They're not conscious choices. They're just habits. You have programmed yourself and your brain. You got these neural pathways. And it's a good thing because we don't want to think about how we're driving. We just want to be able to drive properly, right? Anyone in a car with a teenager teaching them to drive right now? Like you're in that season? Yeah, it's like so, well, especially, yeah, yeah. It's probably atrocious, right? He's back in the room. He's, he's got his head now, right? And it's like, it's really like, oh, it's really jolty. It's like the, there's no feel, right? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like you're just doing these things because you, you just know it, right? You just feel it. It's habit. So most of the challenges that we have are actually the result of an unhealthy habit. And fasting breaks the chain. Puts us in a place of making a conscious choice. It gives us our will back is what it does. What are some other things that are the reasons why we fast? We fast to appreciate the privilege that we have. I don't know about you, but I I forget how privileged I am to always have access to good, cheap carbs. Right? (laughs) Most of human history has not had access to quick calories like that. And even in the world today, most of the world today doesn't have such easy access to energy in the form of calories. We've got money for it. We've got the places for it. We are so privileged that my wife and I can't decide where we want to eat out. We get stressed and we fight about it sometimes, right? Where? we got to try something new. It's the same old, right? Oh, thank goodness, there's a corn dog place, a new corn dog place on the street. Yeah, something new to try. We get stressed about it because we have so much privilege. What fasting does is it helps us appreciate the privilege that we have. It's a gift to us. Fasting helps us embody the principle of first fruits. In scriptures, there's a principle of first fruits, which is kind of what Denny was praying this morning when he talked about giving is, We believe the Christian tradition says that everything you have is not yours, it's a gift to you. And what God asks of you is your best, your first fruits. And when it comes to finances, the the general principle in Christian tradition is the tithe, the first 10%. And you can argue over the number, but the point and the principle stands true through Scripture. Whatever we have is is actually a gift to us from God. And what he asks for us back is not our leftovers, but it's our first, it's our best. And that's what fasting gives us an opportunity to do, to embody the principle of first fruits. Before I eat the most basic necessity in life, which is food, I will actually commune with you, God. That's the invitation. What are some other things? It's an opportunity to declutter our lives in order to be present to God. Pastor Ian's going to talk about this in more depth over the next couple of weeks on Sundays. What we've been talking about over and over and over again at Southside is that we are too cluttered, too busy, too hurried to make good conscious choices in the right direction. And what fasting does, the practice of fasting, the discipline of fasting, it it gives us a chance to stop, declutter, have those desires reordered properly so that we can be fully present to God in those moments and then live out of God's presence in the future. And that's the gift to us. In our communities on Wednesday and Thursday right now, we've got three communities, two on Wednesday, one on Thursday. If you're not in a community, I would encourage you to enter into the mess of communities here at Southside. It is messy, and it's beautiful, and it's lovely, and it's frustrating, and it's awesome. And at our communities, what we're going to be focusing on is fasting, but the actual practice of 
fasting, and we're going to be using this curriculum from John Mark and practicing the way. And, and they say there's four weeks of study, and we're going to stretch it out over eight weeks, and these are kind of the four main points. And he says that uh, fasting allows us to offer ourselves to God, to grow in holiness, to amplify our prayers, and to stand with the poor for justice. This is why we fast. This is why we aim at fasting. This is why we try to fast. And finally, I just want to say that we fast to participate in the sufferings of Christ. The New Testament is so clear that the life of the believer, the life of the follower of Jesus, includes participating in the suffering. And like I said earlier, sometimes we think that that's some sort of external persecution, which sometimes it is. But in the West, it's not. People saying something mean to you on Facebook, like is... Is, is social persecution in some kind of way, and it doesn't feel nice, right? But, but our issue is not actually with suffering being imposed on us as much as it is the suffering that comes with fighting your own flesh and the idol in our community in this cultural moment. Saying no to that upgrade, saying no to that renovation, saying no to that meal, saying no to that privilege, saying no to that activity, in order to say yes to Christ, it is suffering. And we practice fasting to participate with and in the sufferings of Christ. And those texts, you can write them down and you can go look them up. The Christian life is one of taking up our cross and following Jesus and embodying the suffering that he embodied. For him, it was to the cross with his physical body, ultimate death. For us, it's putting ourself to death, the self the desires of the flesh to death in order to be alive in Christ. That is why we Sabbath, or fast and Sabbath. Now I want to say this as we're wrapping up here. Fasting is not a command. In the New Testament, there's a couple of commands and fasting is not one of them. Fasting is assumed that it's something that the church does because it's something that Jews did in their tradition and the church has practiced fasting all the way up until yesterday. Um, but fasting is not a command. It's an invitation. In the way that Jesus talked about Sabbath, it's like, is it a command? It's kind of, but, but the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. So is it a command? Are we all sinning every time we don't take a full 24 period off from work? Gosh, if it is a sin and we are sinning and doing that, we're all screwed, aren't we, right? But it's an invitation to a life that we're invited into. And that's what fasting is. And so my question for us as we wrap up today is, it's an invitation. And so you need to ask yourself the question, what is it that you want in life? What is the life that you want? Because at the end of the day, you have freedom to choose. You have freedom to fast or to not. You have freedom to Sabbath or to not. You have freedom to pray or not. You have freedom to study scripture or not. You have freedom to worship here or not. No one's holding you here. This isn't that kind of church where you're going to be excommunicated if you don't show up three out of four Sundays, right? Obviously, because everyone here shows up three out of four Sundays, and you're still here, and that's lovely. It's an invitation. What do you want in your life? What is it that you ultimately want? What is the life that you're striving towards and that you desire most? And that's the question we need to ask ourselves. One of the challenges that we have is that we don't ask ourselves that question. And therefore, we don't order our lives in such a way and build rhythms and practices in our life that will get there. 
But if we slow down enough to ask the question, what is it that I actually want in life? What is it that I want in faith? What we'll start to see and realize is that there's a unique answer to that question for you and your family maybe, but there's also a universal answer to that question. And the universal answer to that question is that we ultimately, no matter how much wealth we have or how much poverty we live in, what we want is um, we just want to be known. We want to be loved. What we ultimately want is we want secure relationships. What we ultimately want is we want to be known, we want to know that we're doing a good job. Like what we want more than anything, we don't care how much money we get for it or how little money we get for it. What we really want is, um, is some sort of like assurance that we're heading in the right direction. Some sort of assurance for salvation in the long-term future. What we, what we want above everything and I think this is universal, is we want to know that God is there, that he's with us, he's present, and that he's speaking to us. He's guiding us, that there's a plan there. What we want more than anything, I think, is that we want to know that there's a, there's a reason for it all and there's a purpose to it all. So we, I think we all share that. And so maybe this week your invitation is to ask this question of you, yourself, and your family. What is it that we want? And what are we doing in our life to see that happen? If the ultimate answer to that question is we want to know God and be known by God and to live as those who are formed in Christ and actually build the kingdom of God here in Milton, then, then there are things that we can start doing differently that will start to produce that in our life. We're going to ask the question, is fasting going to help us get there? And I'm not even saying that it is. I'm trusting that it is. I'm hoping that it is. But the few times I've fasted, they haven't made me a holy person. They've made me an angry, miserable person, right? It's not, it's like, it, does it work? I want to know that. And we got a few weeks here to wrestle with it, explore it. Wisdom tradition, history would say that those who have developed a rhythm of fasting in their life, it has led to that life that they desire, that they want, life in Christ to be known by God and to be formed in his likeness. So we're going to trust that, but we're going to try it out for ourselves. And here's the question, what's the alternative to that? You can be a little more quiet here for a sec, because I just want people, I'm not being mean. Um, what's the alternative? And this is what I wrestle with. Um, the alternative is existential angst without any way out right? Like the alternative is like, well, maybe we're not loved. Maybe there is no God and maybe there is no real purpose to this whole thing. The alternative is, is um, soothing that existential angst with monetary value and pursuits towards some sort of fame or notoriety that we all have seen over and over and over produces. It, does, it doesn't get anybody anywhere. It's empty at the end of it. So the alternative it may be worth trying because the alternative, well, we've seen that. We're living in a culture of that. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem to be working for me and doesn't seem to be working for our kids, especially our teenagers. And so maybe this is worth giving a shot. Maybe this is worth pursuing as a community. But again, we pursue it together in the hopes and the anticipation that we will taste the kingdom of God, that we'll get a glimpse of God's goodness and his kingdom for us here and now be changed by that in order to produce the change that God invites us to produce here in Milton. Let me pray for us and then we got one more song to sing together and then you can go get your kids.
Lord, we pray in faith, trusting that you're here with us, that you're present in this room as we're gathered together to worship you. We're praying in faith that your way of living produces life and life to the full, eternal life is what you say, Jesus. And that that is the life that is better for us, that is good for us. Not because it's pleasing to you, but because it's, it's aligned with who you made us to be as image bearers of you, the living God. We say all this with the level of uncertainty and surety of whether or not this is even worth it, whether the suffering and fasting particularly is worth it. But we also say together as a community that um, we're willing to give it a try because the alternative isn't working for us, God. We come here collectively repenting of the church's neglect for you and your ways, the way that we neglect your presence, your gentle, loving voice of mercy and grace that you offer to us daily. We come here as a community saying, we know that we're distracted with a million other things, our lives are cluttered, and we're missing you every single day. And then we're also here together as a community knowing saying that it's true because your word testifies to it that your mercy and your grace covers all that and at the end of it all you just want us to know that we're known by you seen by you and loved by you and life you have for us is a life lived from that so be with us Jesus as we fumble our way through the practice of fasting be with us in our angst in our hunger in our frustration in our uncertainty And also show up, Lord, in the midst of it as we offer ourselves and our bodies as a living sacrifice to you. You are faithful and our desire is to be faithful to you. In the name of Jesus, the King, amen.